Hi, my name is Allison Sutter, and you're listening to the Accelerate Your Mojo podcast, where you'll learn how to move past the perfectionism and doubt that is stopping you from sharing your high vibration vision and teachings with the world. This podcast is for all you intuitive introverts out there, the light workers, energy healers, empaths, sensitives, and clairsentients who struggle with making the decisions that will move you forward on your journey as a spiritual teacher. Fear is stopping you from creating the experiences you want, but you're sick and tired of the discomfort that comes with holding yourself back and you're ready to make a change. You're ready to make stuff happen for yourself with a lot less struggle and a ton more joy. After seven years in the spiritual and personal development coaching industry, I discovered the secrets to consistently moving away from doubt, limiting beliefs, and fear when they show up. After years of trial and error, I finally figured out how to consistently align with my higher self and trust my intuition, making it so much easier to create the experiences that I desire in real time. I'll tell you all about these secrets and more in this podcast. To enroll in my free AYM introductory class, go to www.allisonsutter.com and be sure to subscribe to this podcast today so you don't miss any of the amazing episodes. Hi, Allison. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm very good. I'm very good today. So I have a question for you. Well, hopefully I have some answers for you. Okay. So everyone skips the intro. Yeah. <laughs> but you shouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> why? Yeah. So the very big, well, I guess there's two questions that you just asked. The first one is why does everybody skip the intro? <laughs> and maybe... Um, to answer that question, I think that uh, oftentimes we're just so ready to get um, moving forward. We want to get past, we want to get to the finish line. That sometimes we forget to do some of the foundational work. And I think an intro is definitely foundation to uh, the beginning chapters. But why did I want people not to skip the intro? Because um, the book is full of very practical steps and um, some hard uh some hard topics and some hard moments to kind of come face to face with um, who we are as people. And the reason why I didn't want you to skip the intro because it is high inspire and it's very encouraging. It's also a great setup for the rest of the book. So your book is called You'll Never Change. Create your comeback and prove them wrong. So when I read this, a couple of things popped in my head. The first is you'll never change, which is unfortunately what humans tell other humans when they're, they have a perception of that human that they think is all there is. And I'm very familiar with this in a number of different ways. My sister was in rehab at the time she was 14. Um, She made some She's still continuing. We've been estranged for years, but she's still making 
you know, her own choices. And then you said, you know, create your comeback and prove them wrong, which is interesting because the first thing that came to my mind was prove myself wrong. Mm. Yeah. So um, oftentimes when we hear you'll never change, sometimes it comes from a parent. Sometimes it comes from an angry spouse um, who's frustrated with us. But I think oftentimes it comes from uh, uh, our own internal conversation that we have with ourselves. And you know what I found is that sometimes that voice can actually become the loudest. And so, yeah, when you create your comeback, my, my hope is, is that whatever negative voice is telling you that you're never going to change, that this is who you are, you might as well just give up now because it's not going to get any better. My hope is that through this book, um, you feel inspired, but also you'll be prepared to make your own comeback and prove wherever that negative voice is coming from, prove it wrong. So I think this topic is applicable to literally anything. Like, and the reason why I, I do want to talk about details because I think details sometimes orient people in a way that they didn't know it could until they hear them, but also just that simple concept could be a, applied to anybody at any particular situation. And, you know, it, it doesn't need to be the scenario that you're going to tell us about. It could be anything, literally. Um, you know, it, it, we tell each other that all the time as humans, and it's so detrimental. But Let's talk a little bit about, you know, tell me whatever you're inspired to tell me about where yeah. you were, because I want to do the before and after because mm -hmm. it's important to me. Yeah, absolutely. So in my early 20s, I was um, I was hungry for success. I was the poor. We were the poor family growing up. And so when I finally started to get out on my own. I knew that that's not how I wanted to live anymore. And so I was determined to do whatever it took to be what the world would call successful. And um, the problem is, is that I, I didn't seek any kind of wisdom or guidance or lean on any kind of mentors. I just figured everybody else was wrong and I was going to figure out how to do it right. And so in my early 20s, I was trying to build up my own business, um, but also dealing with a secret drug addiction. And um, I had a business partner. We owned a bar together in Youngstown, Ohio. And it was uh, something that I was really proud of at the time because we put a piece of our soul into that place. And we really did turn it into something that what, you would, what the world would call as successful over the course of about two years. Um, the problem was, is I wasn't chasing fulfillment. I was chasing success. And so when the bar was doing well and I had um, the right apartment and I had a great car and I felt like my bank account was where it needed to be, but I was still very unhappy. There was um, a hole on the inside of me and I didn't know why. So I started to fill it with more drugs. I developed a gambling addiction and just anything that I could do to feel some kind of emotion because success didn't make me feel the way that I thought it was going to make me feel. And it wasn't until um, I really got deep and into a dark place that my life started to spiral out of control. Um, I ended up gambling everything that I owned away. And then once I had lost everything in my name, and you know what's interesting about owning a bar is that 
uh, the your bank accounts might be empty, but the the business bank accounts doesn't they're not always empty. And so I made one of the worst decisions of my life, and I started to take money uh, out of the business bank accounts. Um, and you know, when you're in this low moment of your life, especially dealing with addiction, I, I don't think like anybody s- wakes up in the morning and says, you know, today I'm going to make a really bad choice. I think what happens is, is you get put in into a rough situation. You get two really bad options and you choose the one that feels less painful. And oftentimes the one that feels less painful takes you down the rabbit hole a little bit farther. And you start questioning some of your character and your morals. And you ask yourself, is this a human being that I actually want to be? And um, But then you take something to not have to have those thoughts or experience those feelings. And you make another bad choice. And, and so um, my business partner eventually found out what was going on. He gave me an ultimatum. He told me that I could um, sign everything over to him and walk away from this business free and clear. Or um, he was going to get lawyers involved and we were going to talk about pressing charges. So at 26 years old, I signed essentially my life's work over to my business partner and walked away from it. And in that moment, I I really did realize how broken I was because my identity of who I was as a person was wrapped up in, Nate, you're a business owner. And when you're a business owner, you know who you are. But as soon as that was taken away from me, I just didn't know who I was anymore. And I felt very depressed, very lost. Um, I was sleeping on my parents' couch for months at a time. And I I would try to get a job and start over from the bottom, but I'd get a job as a a local server or a bartender somewhere and um, still dealing with a drug and gambling addiction. I would steal from the cash register. I'd get caught and get fired. And then I'd go find another job and I'd steal from the cash register. I would get caught and I'd get fired. Finally, the last time that I was, I'd gotten fired from my last job. I was walking around my parents' apartment complex. It was really early in the morning. I had just taken a handful of pills. And uh, I was walking around to different cars that were parked around the uh, complex. And I was trying to see if any of them were open, if they were unlocked, to find maybe something that I could sell, anything that I could get my hands on. And I actually ended up finding the keys to one of the cars that I had opened. I lifted up the console and there was sitting a spare set of keys. And so in my mind, I saw this as an opportunity. But when you find yourself in the wrong place, in the wrong headspace, you never know what could happen. And so I, uh, I made one, another one of the worst decisions of my life. I decided that I was going to steal this car. I was going to drive it to Houston, Texas, and I was going to start my life over. Um, that thought kept replaying over and over in my head. You need to start over. You need to run away. You need to start over. And you know what's so interesting is that when you try to run away from your problems, we find that our problems actually, they run just as fast as we do because it's not our surroundings that's the issue, but it's actually ourselves that are the issue. And so um, I decided, I still decided I was going to go. And so I packed up five garbage bags of clothes. I threw them in the back of this car that I had just stolen and I headed for Houston, Texas. Um, No plan, no money but just had this determination of I was going to figure it out. And I got about halfway outside of Nashville, Tennessee. Um, I was halfway on my trip and I was, I I knew that I had been up for a few days at this point and I I wanted to get some rest before I made the rest of the journey. And I was sleeping at a gas station. Um, I just pulled into a parking spot just to try and, and get, uh, get a couple hours of shut eye. 
and I, I was woken up at 9 a.m. the next morning um, to several loud bangs on the car window. The car was the car door was yanked open. Uh, I was pulled out of the car. I was then put in handcuffs, and the cops put me in the back of their cruiser, and they took me to Cheatham County Jail in Ashland City, Tennessee. And now, as I'm sitting in the back of this cop car, that same phrase that's the title of the book kept playing over my head. You are never going to change. How did we end up here? I can't believe that we found ourselves in this situation. And so I went to jail, and I will tell you, they gave me six months in Cheatham County Jail. Now, I was with the country boys, so I, I didn't know where I was or who I was there with. Um, but it gave me an opportunity to clear my head, to first of all, get the, the chemicals out of my body, get the toxins out of my body and allow my brain to get cleared for the first time in, in a really long time. And uh, then I got to ask myself a couple questions. First one is, is who do you want to be as a person? The second one is, is what do you want to do when you get out? And the third one is, is how am I going to make my comeback? And so um, in jail, there was some, some pretty uh, powerful moments that I had. And when I got out, I got connected with some people that even though I was a mess, they were willing to get messy with me. Um, you know, I, I got to find a mentor who was willing to coach me. I, got, I had a spiritual awakening. I, I, I fell in love with personal development. And now my life looks very different. Um, if we fast forward several years into the future, you know, currently right now, uh, I got married last year to the love of my life, an incredible woman named Jenna. Um, I'm so thankful that she has given me the honor of being her husband. And uh, we actually bought our first investment property together. We own a duplex. Um, I've gotten to sit on the board of nonprofit for underprivileged youth. Um, I lead hundreds of volunteers every single week at my local church. And uh, I coach one-on-one -on -one in group coaching several people who are trying to make their own comeback. So I'm very thankful for where my life is now, but it has been um, a long journey to get here. Do you remember, so the title, Comeback, implies that there's something to come back to. And it's my belief that we all start from this sort of sovereign, loving place as kids. And then there, there's a point at which the, the story turns. Do you remember, is there anything you know, in your memory where you remember that you started to turn in a direction that led you through that story arc? So are you saying when I started to shift into making my comeback or even before that, when I started to, the downward spiral? The downward spiral, because a lot of times it's like, if we can remember the point at which we went from being loving ourselves in childhood to the point where we start mm -hmm. to gain momentum around those ideas. Um, it can bring, it can shed some light on the helping us in the journey back as we do the comeback. Yeah, absolutely. So when I was a kid, um, I grew up as the poor family. I kind of alluded to it. Um, but there was this local church that would help us out and they were good people. Um, and so we would go to their church service and um, I spent a lot of time there. Nobody ever said it out loud, but I always had this feeling like God was watching me and he was waiting for me to mess up and he was waiting for me to make a mistake because once he did, then, then I would be punished. 
Um, and that's just my viewpoint of God growing up my whole life. And when I went away to college for the very first time, I was 18 years old. I felt like um, nobody's actually watching me. And I felt tricked. I felt like, well, you're not going to you're not going to try and change. You're not going to brainwash me into thinking something that's not there. And that's when I got first introduced to drugs and alcohol. And so I didn't know who I was when I was 18 years old. And I was just this kid trying to figure it out. Um, I was the chubby kid who had a hard time fitting in with people. I was friends with everyone, but I didn't know that I was really close with any one individual. And I found that substances made me exciting. They made me interesting. They made me connected to people. And um, I started to uh, build my life around them. It started off slow, um, but uh, it grew over time. And uh, I remember every time I would take a substance, it would, uh, it would inhibit my decision-making ability. And I find myself doing things that I never thought I would do. You know, it's interesting being a good kid when you grow up is that nobody expects you to do like nobody would, you'd be the last person they expect to do something wrong. And so I, I kind of played that to my advantage of, uh, you know, I would maybe take advantage of something, a situation, or I would take something that didn't belong to me. And because I had this persona of being this good person, um, nobody would actually, uh, point their fingers at me. And so one thing led to a bigger thing, led to a bigger thing, led to another decision. And ultimately this um, chase to fill myself with fulfillment or, or what I would call happiness, um, I wasn't fulfilled at all, but I, I was searching for something that would fulfill me, but in all the wrong places. And um, I, I really just believe that because I... Um, because I was so unhappy with who I was as a person, um, I just kept making one bad decision after another. And it wasn't until that I, I really came face to face with myself and had some honest conversations with me, um, with actually a few different versions of me. And this is this might sound a little woo-woo or, or a little bit out there, um, but it was very helpful and cathartic and healing for me to actually sit down and have some internal dialogue and conversations with a past version of Nate. I sat down and I, I looked at past Nate and I said, um, I don't like you. I don't like who you are or what you did. And uh, I really kind of unloaded on myself. And I don't know if you've ever like unloaded on somebody before. And then all of a sudden you feel, you feel good for a moment, but then you kind of feel a little bad too. Um, but then I, I looked at past Nate and I said, even though you have made, mistakes that have um, given us a life that we don't want right now. I still love you and I forgive you for everything. And that was a very powerful moment for me because I don't know that we can, um, I don't know that we can fully grasp the understanding of forgiveness from other people until we really forgive ourselves first. And, um, and so then I looked at present Nate, I looked at Nate in the present and I said, um, you know, there's some internal changes that have happened on the inside of you that nobody has seen yet. Nobody knows this new version of you. And, uh, but I do, and I see you, and um, I believe in you, and you can do this. And I, I really began to coach myself and encourage myself, especially because I wasn't getting it from anywhere else. And then I looked at a future version of Nate, and I said, 
hey, um, you deserve a beautiful life. And I'm willing to do whatever it takes to give you a life full of fulfillment, full of care, full of hope, one where you are contributing more than you are taking. And I'm willing to put in the work now. I'm willing to grind it out. I'm willing to do the foundational work. I'm willing to face my fears. I'm willing to have uncomfortable conversations because I want to give you that life that you deserve. I do that all the time with the past, present, and future version of myself because actually we're doing it in the now. So it's like it, it's helping heal mm. everything because even when we do this talk to the past version of ourselves, we're actually talking to our now self as well. And I think that's part of where the healing comes from. Even in, when we imagine the future self, we're doing it in the now. So the healing is always happening in the now, which is really good. So interestingly enough, so to the to the idea of change, and I said it before and I'll say it again, even if someone yeah. didn't have that similar story as you had with all of the different parts of that story, this concept of change is absolutely important no matter where you see yourself. And so at 17, no one would ever know looking at me. And I've never actually told anybody this. I ended up in jail. Wow. At 17. Uh-huh. You'd never know. <laughs> Little jail, Alice and the jailbird. <laughs> oh, yeah. My kids don't even know. Wow. <laughs> so don't tell them. And they don't listen to my podcast, so they'll never know. Your secret's safe with me and your audience. Yeah. <laughs> I ended up, because my sister was in, like I said, she was in drug rehab by the time she was 14. She had ended up in a girl's home. She gave me my first beer at 11. Wow. So, and then there was turmoil between my parents and in a, you know, my sister was just hell on wheels and she took over everything. And so, but I got, I was the good kid, yeah. right? Yeah, I, I wasn't right. the one that they were looking at. Yep. Um, so a friend of mine were drinking in the car. Well, then we, you know, we took a couple shots and then I drive and I apparently went and it was literally just after we had done it. And I skated through a stop sign to another stop sign. And lo and behold, there's a cop car there. there he is. Pulled me over and sent me to jail. Hallelujah. Thank God he was there. Yeah. Like, changed my life, right? Mm -hmm. Like changed my life. And there's a point in the book where you say, or in the intro, you say, before every celebration in my life, there was also an intense struggle. Yeah. It's the hero's journey, right? Yeah. We're literally writing this story and we all experience these hero's journeys. But like, so there's the before and then there's the after, this pinnacle, you know, climax of the story. And, and so let's talk about a little bit about the after. Yeah. And you mentioned, I loved, we talked before, you mentioned like the story of an old man that you spoke to yeah. and the art of fulfillment. You can talk about any of those things. Yeah. Are... So while I was in jail, uh, I was about three months in. And uh, when you are in jail, the, uh, there's a couple different styles. Uh, so you can have your own individual cell or you can be in, what I was in is something called a pod. And so a pod is shared with 16 guys. And uh, we would get the opportunity once a month to get out of our pod and we were offered the opportunity to go to what they were calling a church service. And so I wasn't really interested in going to the church service, but I was very interested in looking at something other than the four cinder block walls I'd been looking at for the last three months. And so uh, we, uh, we all lined up and we walked down this long hallway to this um, room off to the side, again, made with white cinder blocks. And, uh, but we, it was a little, it was just, it was something different. We got an opportunity to get out. And so there was some excitement and buzz around that, but 
we, uh, we sat down and there were these folding chairs that were in this room and it was small and it was cramped. And, um, this really, really old guy walked into the room and, um, he sat down in one of the chairs and he pulled out a really, really, really old guitar. And, um, he, uh, looked at all of us and we were, we were not good looking. <laughs> we were, we were rough. We had long, um, facial hair, uh, or we were just disheveled. Orange is not a great color on any man. And so we're, uh, we're all sitting there, but he looks at us and he says, you know, guys, uh, the difference between me and you is, <clears throat> is that I never got caught. And then he starts to sing this song as he strums his guitar. He sings, um, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And, um, I was, uh, I was looking around the room and there wasn't a, uh, a dry eye amongst us. And, you know, it's so interesting seeing grown men who, um, who've made some bad choices, who the people would look at and say they, uh, they're rough around the edges to see them emotional and feeling the presence of something bigger than them, um, was very inspiring. And in that moment, I didn't necessarily understand what was going on. Um, but I, I describe it as this, almost this perfect moment that I've, I've had very few of them in my life, but I, I wasn't worried about the past at all. I wasn't worried about anything that I had done. I wasn't about the fu- worried about the future of when am I going to get out of this place? But I just had this overwhelming sense of peace right in that moment. And that for me was when I knew that, um, I knew that, God, if you are real, um, I need your help because the direction that I'm going is not the life that I want to be moving in. And so uh, I knew that I wanted to, that was the moment for me, that was a pivotal, what you call a spiritual awakening for me of saying, um, really, uh, maybe there's something more out there and maybe this universe doesn't revolve around Nate Dukes. And so when I got out of jail, my little sister, she was 21 years old at the time, she could have said, Hey, big brother, do you want to go party? Do you want to go celebrate? I haven't seen you in six months. And whatever she asked me to do, I was going to go do. And uh, she says, hey, do you want to go to church with me? And I said, no, (laughs) I don't. Uh, But she said, it's better than anything else that you've been doing for a while. So why don't you give it a shot? And the truth was, is that she was right. And so I went to this church and I got connected with some people and uh, they were really, really helpful for me walking along this journey of, of my new life that I was trying to figure out. And one of the big problems that I had, and, and I, we kind of talked about it already, was is even though I understood that God forgave me, um, I didn't necessarily forgive myself yet. And so that was a powerful moment for me. And once I got past that, I really started to look at, okay, if I'm going to if I'm going to create a comeback, if I'm going to have this new life, what do I want it to actually look like? What do I want my vision for my life to be? And I knew that it it can't be just surrounded with success. It can't just be money focused. It can't be just driven to have the nicest things and the the apartment again and the the cars because I tried that and it, it didn't work for me. And so, um, I decided that instead of moving towards success, I would move towards fulfillment. I would move towards making an impact. 
And I think that, um, you know, we all want to be happy in this life. Um, at least we say we do. Um, but happiness is a feeling that comes and goes and, and feelings are neither good nor bad, but they, they exist for a reason. They're, they're indicators of what's going on. I think really what most of us are after is fulfillment. And fulfillment only comes from when we stop living selfishly and we start living selflessly and we contribute and we help and we understand that we are, um, we're moving towards something that is bigger than ourselves. And for me, part of being fulfilled is instead of trying to take for Nate and build Nate's tower up really big and, and conquer the world. It's more about how can I help other people who are at their lowest moments. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I want everybody to experience um, the, the feeling of accomplishment. That's a good feeling. I want people to feel like they, um, they, uh, they are creating a life that they want to live. I'm not saying don't have goals. I'm not saying don't try and, and be um, your version of successful. What I am saying is that if that's the only indicator of you doing a good job is success, I think you're missing the mark. I think that when you start moving towards fulfillment and impact, all of a sudden your life has a greater meaning. You have a depth. When you wake up, you feel like, hey, I'm not just getting pushed to wake up, but I'm being pulled towards this um, compelling future that I have for myself. And I, I think along with being fulfilled, there's this idea of gratitude. And before you write this off as another gratitude list or somebody talking about being grateful for what you don't have, just, just hear me out for a moment. You know, when we're grateful for what we have, we can't be consumed with what we don't have. And gratitude reminds us that whether we have a little or a lot, that we are enough and that we have enough. And that for me was a game changer when I started moving towards fulfillment and I really started cultivating gratitude for where I was at right now. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, Nate, I don't have anything to be grateful for. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've experienced. And I would just tell you that you're right. I don't, I don't know your individual story. I just know that if you wanted to be grateful for something, even if it was just the heartbeat in your chest, if you have lungs in your if you have breath in your lungs, if you have blood in your veins right now, it means that there's still hope and that there's still a purpose for you. And I just choose to be grateful for where I'm at, even though it's, it's not ultimately where I'd like to see my life, but I'm grateful for what I do have right now. Um, and so for me, gratitude has been a big part of fulfillment. Do you remember at what point in this transition, because there's this transitional state that we all go through, where the sensation of victimhood mm -hmm. began to subside yeah. and make way for that gratitude, because the two cannot exist in the same space. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, it's very easy to have a victim mindset. It's very easy to say and look at who has hurt you. Um, who has taken advantage of you, who wasn't there for you when they should have been, and say, I am who I am because of them. And that's fine if that's how you choose to live your life. I would propose to you that there is a better way to live and to look at a different perspective of looking at your life. Um, 
I remember when I was uh, first got out of jail, the first job that I, I could get was as a landscaper. And there's nothing wrong with it. Um, it was actually really, really good for me. Uh, it was hard work. It was long days. It helped me develop consistency um, in a life that was very inconsistent. And uh, I remember listening to some personal development books and some spirituality books. And, and I would, instead of listening to you know, having headphones in all day, instead of listening to whatever playlist I could find on my, my phone, I, I, I listened to podcasts and YouTube videos and, and books on tape. And it was really, really helpful for me. And I just remember distinctly, um, uh, listening to a John Maxwell book. And he said, life is not about what you can achieve, but it's about the person that you're becoming. And this is the, this is the kicker. This was the, the one that really changed it for me. He said, if you want your life to change, if you want your surroundings to change, you have to be the one that changes first. And I love what Tony Robbins talks about. So he's a personal development teacher. He talks about how um, that if we're going to blame everybody for what our life looks like, for the bad things that are inside of us, then we need to blame them for the resilience, the strength, and the good things. Blame them elegantly for, for what it's developed in our life. And so I have just take, taken some extreme ownership over my life. And it, it started early on with my, uh, my comeback story of if nobody's coming to save me, nobody's going to do the work for me, nobody's going to have the uncomfortable conversations with myself, um, I'm going to have to be the one that does it. And so when you take extreme ownership, that victim mentality, it starts to disappear. It doesn't have a voice anymore. Um, and what's so interesting is that when you choose to not be a victim, really what you're saying is I'm choosing to push forward no matter what. I'm choosing to overcome. I'm choosing to be fulfilled. I'm choosing to make my comeback. Yeah, what you're talking about, I use the term permission slips, like, because everyone's permission slip is different. Like, we, we resonate with something we see or hear, and we go, oh, and it's like we give ourselves permission to yes. take, take a different track. And sometimes it's a statement from a book we read, or I mean, I get stuff from Netflix where I go, oh, okay. Yeah. You know, that's my permission slip. It's where I realize I can give myself permission to move forward. Mm. Um, what do you say to people? Because so, in, in my perspective, if somebody listens to this and they go, oh, it's easy for you. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the victimhood mentality, <laughs> yeah. giving itself a voice where yeah. we go, oh, well, it's easy for them because they did it. You know, like what do you, how do you approach or have you been approached where people go, oh, it's so easy for you, Nate, mm -hmm. like you did it. Yeah, abs well, absolutely. And so if we're not careful, uh, we'll start to compare ourselves to other people. We'll start to compare our comeback story to other people's comeback story. And, you know, Winston Churchill has this famous quote. I'm sure you've heard it before, but it says, comparison is the thief of joy. I think in an Instagram world, it's easy to look at everybody else's highlight reel and say, well, why doesn't mine look like that? Or they, they must be they must be um, they must be happy because of how their life looks, and I have just I just really want to encourage um, that person that is saying that of it's easy for you um, to say maybe we stop focusing on other people's story and start focusing on our own because when we stop focusing our surroundings and start focusing 
on ourself, that's really when, to, to use your words, we're giving ourselves permission to move forward. And um, in this world, uh, it's so easy and I do it all the time. And it's uh, something that I have to constantly catch myself and remind myself to go back to and say, my story is not their story. And, um, you know, I love, uh, I love this analogy of, you know, I heard this old school preacher tell me one time, he goes, you know, if God wanted another them, he would have created another them, but he didn't. He created you and he created you with your own purpose and your own plan and his desires for your life. And really what I'm doing is if I try to live somebody else's purpose, if I try to walk in somebody else's path, two things are happening. Number one, I'm not being authentically true to myself, but I'm also robbing myself of my plan and my purpose. And so I have just chosen that my life is not going to look like everybody else's. And it was not an easy choice, by the way. This is not like everything we're talking about um, has been, it's been through doing the work. It's been through going on, um, going on some intense introspective journeys where I look at, uh, I reflect and look back at myself and say, I don't like this area. How do I, how do I start to work on it? How do I start to poke at it a little bit? And if you've ever had a sunburn, you know that when you start to poke around a little bit, it, it, it hurts because we're, we're wounded. And um, over time, those wounds start to heal. And, and that's how you really know you've moved on from something is that when you start to poke on it again, um, it doesn't hurt as bad. And sometimes there's a scar that is left. And you know what's so cool about scars is, is that they're a reminder that there was a story there. There was a reminder that there was some kind of struggle. But there's a, it's also a reminder that you came out on the other side, okay. You know, I just, I really do believe that there is, there's no problem, there's no emotion, there's no feeling that is eternal. You know, there's no thing that I'm experiencing right now that is forever. Where you're at right now is not going to be where, where your future is. And the only thing that is eternal is our souls. And so I, I hold on to that, especially when I was at the, the lower moments of my life is that this isn't forever. What I'm experiencing right now isn't forever. But if I want to be able to move forward, I have to be willing to, to get uncomfortable. You know, Tim Ferriss says that everything that we want in life is on the other side of an uncomfortable conversation. And I think that that is true with other people, but also with ourself as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, the thing that the choices that I made as a teen were because I was desperately uncomfortable, so uncomfortable. And I just I did anything and everything, did drugs, did the alcohol, did the, you know, giving myself freely to others because I'm like, there's got to be a way to soothe this pain. And I was looking for love in all the wrong places, yeah. clearly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's not yeah. <laughs> those well, choices don't bring us what, inner peace. It doesn't, but what it does, it, it was it was fun in the moment, right? And it felt good in the moment. But what we find is that sometimes what feels good in the moment isn't actually good for our future. And so that is that is the one reminder that I have to go back to over and over again is that the decisions that I make, they really do determine my direction. They determine my destiny. Contrary to popular belief, <laughs> what we do matters. Um, our habits, our choices, our decisions, they're all important to the life that we are, that we are creating. 
So how do you, so maybe you can do a little comparison uh, between then and now in terms of, because one of the things that is a uh, sticks people in, in, in a, makes them stuck is the how part because mm-hmm. they go, all right, so now I want to change. Yeah. But how, yeah. how, how, and Great they look question. towards external, like, oh, I can't see it. It isn't like just paved in front of me uh, and I just have to choose one through three and I'll yeah. have my success, but the unknown aspect of the future mm. and how do you soothe, soothe yourself and how did you get over that initial hump of being soothed by not knowing what's going to happen tomorrow? Yeah. So, um, it, uh, I really do believe that having a vision for your life is incredibly important. Um, and so uh, I remember when I first got started of hearing about vision in the future, I had no idea what I wanted to do or what I wanted my life to look like. But I will tell you that when you start to create a vision for your life, um, instead of just looking at it where it's at right now, and it, it's so easy to get caught up in the day-to-day, what we're doing, um, working, taking care of the kids, maybe just trying to get through the day, Um and we forget that there is a potential for another future. There's a potential for another life. And so when you start to create a vision for your future, and when I say vision, I mean, what do you want your relationships to be? What do you want your impact to be? What do you want your contribution to this world to be? What kind of feelings do you want to experience on a daily basis? What kind of relationship with yourself do you want to have? What kind of What kind of place do you want to be at in life? When you start to really get very crystal clear on that vision for your life, now all of a sudden, your brain naturally wants to move towards it. Um, If you go to an airport right now and you say, hey, I would like to go somewhere. Will you please sell me a ticket? They will gladly sell you a plane ticket, um, but it may not be somewhere that you ever wanted to go in the first place. And so it's not until we start to take control of our direction that we're able to actually start to have a vision for our life. And so I would just really encourage somebody that if you're like wondering, okay, how do I even get this comeback started? Where do I start? Where do I even begin? It all starts with having a vision. You have to be able to see yourself not where you are right now. And then once you can see yourself, maybe you could start to believe Hey, you can get out of it. I think oftentimes the reason why we don't make our comeback is because we don't believe it's possible. And so once you have a vision, once you have that really crystal clear locked in, you write it down, you look at it every single day. Part of the comeback challenges in the book are create a vision for your life and uh, really start to look at it every day. Set a reminder in your phone to look at it. And then once you do that, now the fun part begins. Now you have to start making the right decisions. And so it's actually part of this comeback equation that I've created. So you have a vision plus your decisions, the things that you do, uh, the choices that we make, the habits that we wake up with every single morning, um, which we can all change, by the way, uh, but our decisions. And then you multiply that by time. And now this is the hard one for people because the toughest four-letter word any of us are ever going to hear is wait, W-A-I-T wait. And so you have a vision, you start making the right decisions, you multiply it by time. And I know what you're thinking, man, I've been doing this for a while and it doesn't seem like it's like it's going anywhere. I will tell you giving up doesn't get you where you want to go. So you have to let time really start to take over. And then those are the things that you can control. But uh, oftentimes when we're making a comeback, there's things that happen that are out of our control. And uh, I like to call the 
it grace. Um, some people call it luck. Some people call it karma. I choose to believe that it's God's grace and it's God's hand on my life guiding me. And so you have a vision. You start making the right decisions. You multiply it by time. Grace shows up and you feel like you're making your comeback. That's awesome. So as we kind of wrap this up, because this is my podcast is about feeling it's about vibe it's about you know the sensorial aspect of these conversations and hopefully that transitions over into somebody listening what would you speak to that acknowledges that we're always in transition that there are always in the phase of change and heading to something in terms of taking that idea and imbuing it with an essence or a vibe um you know, as we sort of exit out of the conversation, what would you say? I would say that I don't know that we ever actually arrive at our comeback. We want to. Um, it's a great idea. But I don't know that there's ever actually an arrival point. And I'm okay with that. I am actually at peace with that um, because it means that I'm constantly growing as a human being. I believe that growth really does equal happiness. If you've ever played um, if you ever played a video game before where you played the whole thing and you beat the boss and that's it and the game's over and you just kind of look around and go, what is, is there nothing else? It, it's not as fulfilling as we think it's going to be. But the most fun out of any video game you play is when you get to a new level, when you get to a, a different superpower, when you get to a part of the map that was maybe blacked out before and all of a sudden you can see it. And so it's, it's the growth it's the new, it's the moving forward that is actually what is called fulfillment and happiness. So I would just encourage people that there is no arrival point. I haven't arrived and I don't plan on ever arriving. I plan on continuing to grow as a human being. And, and my future is, it's constantly written in pencil. Uh, I might be moving towards something now, but I might have to erase that depending on my life circumstances. And, and that's okay. I'm okay with that. Um, my Who I am as a person doesn't come from what I've achieved or who or the things that I do, but come, my identity is from who I am, from the love that I have, the contribution that I make, and from the people that I surround myself with. So don't ever feel like you have to arrive somewhere. I think we, we miss the point if we try to arrive. Oh, that's perfect. I love that. And I would say the next baby step, if somebody resonates with your words, is to get your book. It's coming out in June 1st. Yeah, so the book will come out June 1st, and it'll be available on Amazon, Kindle, and Audible. Um, the one big initiative that I'm really proud of right now is that um, it's this pay-it-forward option. So um, if you've ever uh, given anybody uh, 50 bucks to help pay their bills you know that you're not actually solving their problems. I've been on both sides of it. I've been on the receiving and the giving end. And you know what I found when I was on the receiving end of it is that um, it just put a Band-Aid on my situation. And what I really needed was I needed to be inspired and taught and lovingly encouraged and coached to make my own comeback. And so that's my heart of this, of this book is I work, with, um, I work with multiple recovery centers across the country. Um, you know, there's 24.6 million people in active recovery right now, and uh, a good portion of them are in recovery facilities. And so I would like to be able to get this book in their hands for free through this Pay It Forward initiative. So if you'd like to partner with me, if you'd like to buy a book for someone that you've never met before, 
I will personally deliver it and I will share my story with them in the recovery centers that I work with. And you can check that out at youllneverchange.com slash pay it forward. Beautiful. What a lovely thing to do. I love that. So thank you, Nate. Thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing your words of wisdom and your energy and your time. And um, this has been fun. Allison, thank you for your time. I'm so excited for what you're doing here. I really believe that these are much needed conversations and you're creating a safe space for people to listen as well. Awesome. Well, stay tuned and you'll learn more about Nate in the outro. In his early 20s, Nate Dukes was a business owner chasing success while dealing with a secret drug addiction. After consistently hitting rock bottom, hurting everyone close, stealing a car and going to jail, Nate went on a journey of changing his mindset and his decisions which helped him create his own comeback story. He quickly found that there were other people just like him who were stuck believing the lie that they'd never change. Through his book, On Stage Speaking, and personal coaching, Nate shares what he's learned to help other people make their own comeback. You can buy Nate's book on Amazon, www.youllneverchange.com. You can also contact Nate on Instagram at at who is Nate Dukes? And you can also pay it forward and partner with Nate to get this book in the hands of people in recovery centers all over the U.S. Go to www.youllneverchange.com backslash pay it forward to help get this book in the hands of those who truly, truly need it.